Our scripture today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's hear the word of the Lord. We continue in our series in, on the Gospel of John as we reach chapter 3 of John. And if you've been here, the previous messages, you know that we've already spent a considerable amount of time answering the question, who is Jesus? This is a question that John answers over and over and over. And we've seen even from the first message that Matthew preached pre-COVID, believe it or not, that Jesus is eternal, that he is the agent of creation, that he's the source of life, that he is the light of men, that he is one with God, and that Jesus is God. This morning we'll see that um, Matthew, uh, that John returns to that, answering who is Jesus. And Matthew said in that first message he preached, he said towards the end, he said, the gospel of John will return to these themes again and again. Why will John return to these? Because of what he writes in John 20, verse 31, when he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, that is the hub of the wheel around which the gospel of John spins. 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised Savior, the fulfillment of all salvation prophecies, the one whom God's people have been waiting for and longing for for centuries. He is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. And in our passage this morning, John continues that theme, and he is eager for us to know these two things well. First thing, we are sinners separated from God and in ourselves not good enough to be part of his kingdom. And secondly, that we can receive salvation and be united with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the message of John. That is the message of John 3, verse 1 through 15. And so we ended last week, we ended in chapter 2, and I want to read the last few verses as it really is the segue into this passage this morning. And so we saw from verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself know what was in man. So we see many believing in his name when they saw that the miracles Jesus was doing but that Jesus did not entrust himself to them. It's a word play. It means Jesus did not believe in their believing in them. Because he knew all people. And he knew what was in man. And he knew the condition of man. The deadness of man. And then in the very next verse, in chapter 3 and verse 1, we see Nicodemus introduced. And it flows, as this chapter flows, it is obvious that he was one of those many who believed in the name of Jesus. And then we see in chapter 3, verse 2, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But what will become glaringly obvious very quickly is that whatever believing Nicodemus had in Jesus at that very moment was not a saving faith, was not a faith that led to salvation because immediately after his introduction to Jesus, the first thing Jesus did is to extend to him an invitation to be born again, an invitation for salvation. And so what we see in this passage this morning, in this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, is that salvation is not gained by trying harder and harder or by living better and better. Salvation is not gained by those who become more moral, 
more religious. Not by those who take religion to the highest level. Not even by those who forsake many sins in their lives. The kingdom of God is not gained by anything a person does or is. The kingdom of God only opens to those who are born again through faith in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on our behalf in his life, death, and resurrection. Only two main points this morning. The first one comes from chapter 2 and verse 24. Jesus knows all people. Jesus knew Nicodemus. Jesus knew who Nicodemus was. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, it says in the passage. Nicodemus was also part of the Sanhedrin, the supreme religious body in the land of Israel. And he was the teacher of Israel, is what Jesus calls him. Now know this, Nicodemus was no lightweight. Shouldn't look at this passage and, and just think, oh, he was just some guy. To be who he was was quite something. He attained the highest honors for his religious commitment. At the time in Israel, there was about 6,000 Pharisees. They were the most devout, the most conscientious keepers of the law. Not only the law of scripture, but all other laws, even laws they made up themselves hoping to gain holiness through those laws. But the word Pharisee comes from a word that means separated. They lived separated lives, separated from the rest of the people by their devotion to the law. They tried to live separated lives from sin and evil. They were also the people, though, who a couple of verses back Jesus chased out of the temple when he made a whip of cord. And so Jesus knew who Nicodemus was, that he was a devout religious law keeper. But Jesus not only knew who Nicodemus was, he knew what was in him. Jesus knew that Nicodemus, although he had attained this religious leadership positions and prestige, that he was spiritually dead. He relied on his own righteousness, being part of this set-apart pharisaical group, obeying all the laws. He relied on his own goodness to enter the kingdom of God. He thought he could become religious enough, good enough, moral enough to inherit eternal life. But Jesus knew that his morality and his goodness was like filthy rags. And that he could never attain God's kingdom based on his own goodness or on his own righteousness. Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed a true and a perfect righteousness, a righteousness that he could not gain by himself, that he could not muster up by himself, that he could not separate himself enough to, to get that righteousness 
but he only needed the righteousness which came from Christ's perfect obedience in his life. Romans 5 verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam's, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. And Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed that righteousness and not his own filthy righteousness to be made right with God. Nicodemus needed a savior and all his religious pomp was worthless for salvation. He needed to be born again to see the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life. This man, he reached the pinnacle of religion who lived a careful life trying to uphold all the moral and spiritual laws and it was not enough for him to be good enough to inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it clear to him, you cannot stand, Nicodemus, on your own righteousness. What a shocker it must have been for him to hear those words. So Jesus knows all people. He knows Nicodemus, but Jesus also knows you, and he knows me. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows what town you were born in. He knows the last name of your first grade teacher. He knows which high school you attended. He knows the make of your first car. He knows your favorite food. So what I'm telling you is Jesus knows all those security questions that you answer when you forgot your password and you have to log in. He knows all of that about all of us. But he knows more. Jesus knows the condition of your heart and my heart. He knows if we are dead or alive spiritually. He knows if we follow him truly or if we don't. He knows if we are running away from him or somehow in our human attempt try to love him and follow him. He knows whether we've experienced salvation or not. Jesus knows also that no matter how hard you try, no matter how separate, separate you are trying to be from sin, how holy you are trying to be, that that goodness is not enough for you to have right standing before God. Jesus need that like, knows that like Nicodemus, you and I need a righteousness that is not of ourselves. That righteousness that came by one man, Jesus' obedience, 
That is the righteousness that you and I need to be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus knows the fallen hopelessness of man. He knows our alienation from the Father. That we have no way of redemption and reconciliation without him. We are lost and we will stay lost until he calls us to him and gives us grace to respond to him. There is no one good enough to be counted righteous on their own merit, on their own goodness. Not Nicodemus, who was a very righteous holy man, and not you or me. And this may sound like a somber truth, especially if you are somebody who thinks of yourself as a morally good person. And to hear that your goodness is not good enough may be hard to hear. But friend, hear this. There is great news that not only does Jesus know all people, but the second point this morning is Jesus offers salvation to all people. I wonder if you realize when we read this passage this morning, that Jesus' mercy is on full display in this section. When Nicodemus came to him and told him what they thought of Jesus, that he is a teacher come from God and that God was with him, Jesus did something very amazing. He offered Nicodemus salvation. He did not rebuke him like he has done on other occasions for the Pharisees. Remember in Matthew 23 and verse 27, he says to them, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Jesus knew that Nicodemus was like that. He was all beautiful on the inside and all rotten on the, uh, beautiful on the outside and rotten on the inside. But he did not rebuke him for this. Now the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth was, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, here is how you can enter the kingdom of God. Here's the only way that you can enter the kingdom of God, by being born again. Not by being moral, not by being the best Pharisee, not by being a religious person, but by being born again. And these words may sound confusing to you this morning. Born again, what, what do you ever think does that mean, born again? And if you wonder about that, you're in good company because Nicodemus was confused also. But there are two places in this passage this morning that helps us understand this better, what it means to be born again. 
The first place we look at, if you want to look there with me, is in verse 4. And we read, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And what he's saying in that moment is that he is confused about what that means. He has a complete lack of understanding about what Jesus means. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. It was confusing to him. But look at Jesus' answer in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit, capital Spirit, Holy Spirit, is Spirit. Nicodemus, you're misunderstanding this. I'm not saying you have to have a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. Your body was born of the flesh, but your soul needs a rebirthing by the Holy Spirit of God unto eternal life. Your soul is dead Even though you aspire to the righteousness that you do, your dead soul needs to be made alive. That is born again. The Old Testament is full of examples that look forward to this. To this rebirthing of our souls. Ezekiel 36 Verse 25 through 27, we've already heard that read this morning. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Psalm 51 verse 10. David, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew right spirit within me. David longed for a renewed spirit. This is so amazing. Can you see who does the work here? Who creates a new heart? Who does this rebirthing? Nicodemus, it is completely a work of God. It says, I will, six times in those two verses in Ezekiel. This is not something you can do, Nicodemus. This is not something you can attain. This is God's doing. All your efforts are useless. A dead man cannot make himself alive. He needs God to do it. God is the one who will do it for you, Nicodemus. The theological term that we use to talk about being born again is regeneration. And so Wayne Grudem defines regeneration as this, a secret and sovereign act of God 
in which he imparts new life to those whom he called. In which he imparts new life to those he called. Friends, this is the greatest miracle that anyone can ever experience. When you are dead to be made alive. Dead made alive by being born again, by being regenerated, by being spiritually rebirthed by God himself. This is cause for great rejoicing, church. This sovereign act of God for us to inherit the kingdom of God. He will make us alive. We will treasure him in eternity because of it. We will know his affections now and forever. There are no words that can explain the utter amazement of what God does when he takes a dead person spiritually and he makes them alive. He does that. So does that mean that we can just live like we live? We can just wait. God's going to do this for me. I'm just going to wait for him to regenerate me. No. (laughs) No, surely not. Surely we cannot just live for ourselves and just wait for God to regenerate us. The second place in this text that is helpful, look there with me, is in verses 13 through 15. It says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Right there is our responsibility, church. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And we've already seen this. We saw this in John chapter 1 and verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God is the one who regenerates. We are the ones who believe in him for that regeneration. Is there another way to become a part of God's kingdom, to be saved, to become a child of God? No. There is no other way. You and I, according to the Bible, are sinners. We are born with a sin nature and we are naturally alienated from God and enemies of God. Remember Romans 5.19, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, that's us. We were made sinners. And there is nothing that we can do by ourselves to bridge that gap between us and God. He is perfectly holy and sinless and we are sinners and we cannot come into his presence. 
And the only way to be accepted by him, to be restored to him, to become his child, is to have a perfect righteousness. Righteousness that's impossible for us to have on our own. We don't have it. Nicodemus didn't have it. And the only way we can attain that perfect righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came down, or as verse 13 says, descended from heaven to save us, to redeem us. He, God, left the glories of heaven to come down to this earth because he loved us. As a human, he lived the perfectly sinless life, the perfectly obedient life. He had no guilt. Yet he went to the cross willingly. That is what it refers to in verse 14 that says he must be lifted up. He was lifted up to the cross willingly. And on that cross, he took upon himself your sin and my sin, past, present, and future sin. And he paid the full penalty for our sins by taking the wrath of God the Father on himself. And in return, he gives you his perfect righteousness, the only righteousness that you can have to stand before God as accepted. We can be guiltless. We can have eternal life. We can become a son and a daughter of God because Jesus gave us his righteousness. Friends, he did for us what we cannot do on our, on our own. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so just as Nicodemus needed to believe in Jesus' redemptive work for salvation, in the same way you and I need to believe in Jesus' redemptive work for salvation. And friend, if you have not experienced this salvation yet, hear Jesus say to you this morning, like he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's the title of this message. You must be born again. Hear me this morning that Jesus is reaching out to you today and is offering a redemption that has already been accomplished for you. He's not asking you to do all kinds of things to become holy. He has accomplished it already for you and you need only to receive what Jesus did for you by believing. By believing in his son. Oh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help men and women to see Jesus as all-satisfying the salvation which you offer this morning as desirous, please open blind eyes 
Jesus is worthy of your trust, friend. He's worthy of your love. He's worthy of all your honor. He laid down his life for you. And if you put your trust in him, he will regenerate your soul. He will make you alive. He will satisfy your life with the satisfaction that is to be found in nothing else. He will be with you in hard and easy times. He will never forsake you. He will be the closest friend you've ever had. And he will be preparing a place for you to spend eternity with him. Believe in Jesus today. Start following him today as your God. And you may inherit eternal life. Realize, church, that this morning you are seeing God's mercy in full display. He is offering you salvation like he did for Nicodemus. Respond to him today. As the band comes up, I want to address two groups of people who may be present here today. There may be people here today who think, I, I'm not worthy. I am just too bad to receive this free gift of salvation by just simply putting my trust in Jesus. And I want to remind you that earlier I said there's no one good enough to be counted righteous on his own merit, his own goodness. But friends, there's a flip side to that coin. There is no one so bad that God will not completely cleanse you and save you and make you alive when you repent of your sin and follow him. There's, there's, no, there's no gradient to deadness. You are either dead or you're alive. You can't be too bad. If you're dead, you're dead. And Jesus says this morning that if you repent of your sins, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did, he will save you. He's not a staunch savior sitting there thinking who he can deny. He's an eager savior wanting to see dead men and women come alive. He died for you on the cross and he desires for you to follow him. He's inviting you this morning to follow him. Second group of people who may be here this morning are those who have been faking the Christian life. You've said you're a Christian. Everybody around you may think you're a Christian, but you know that you do not follow Christ. And God knows that you are not following Christ. 
Friend, he will not turn you away if you come to him this morning. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. God is waiting for you like the father of the prodigal son, eagerly waiting for you to come to him so that he can give you new life, so that he can welcome you into his kingdom. He will make you his son, his daughter, because he loves you. Hear what Jesus will do for you if you place your trust in him. Quote from John Piper. He says, In the new birth, our dead, stony boredom with Christ is replaced by a heart that senses the worth of Jesus. A born-again Christian has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and now can never taste or see enough of him. Every new day brings its own undeniable need for food, for another serving of new mercy, another sight of Christ. Oh, how I pray that will be true for you today. May God give you the courage and the willingness to respond to his call today, and may you taste his fresh mercies today today.